Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, gorgeous listeners. I am joined by the effervescent, fabulous, gorgeous in green, Dr. Mary. Welcome, gorgeous one. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. And in green, I'm often in green. I was chatting to a lovely woman today who is actually doing one of our programs, but we were chatting and she said that she just doesn't feel bloated anymore. Having done, in this case, our 12-week mind-body rebalance, beautiful people are doing that. We're approaching halfway through now and she doesn't feel bloated. And it got me thinking that I used to be really bloated all the time as well. And I have like uncomfortable gut feelings, but I just thought it was part of life. And certainly, you know, if I ate a lot of junk, it would get worse, but it was just always there. And I think I have just forgotten because it's been so long that I don't have that anymore. I just, I just feel good. And I'm taking a moment to, to just be grateful for the fact that I feel good and it's great. It's so interesting. It's it, Again, it reminds me a little bit of that thing, you know, sometimes we're sitting outside and we've got a pool filter that's going and I don't notice it until it stops. And when it stops, I go, oh, oh, that's better. And gut pain can vary between that or for some people it's excruciating and, you know, impacts their quality of life. Uh, but, yeah, like you, I always had a little bit of what I thought was IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So, yeah, it's a great topic. Why don't we talk about that today? Uh, Because I think out there in the world, there's lots of people who have been diagnosed with irritable bowel and have varying treatments. So why don't we actually chit-chat about what irritable bowel actually is? That sounds good. I've been diagnosed with irritable bowel. Seriously, I think I've never forgotten about it, but way back in the day, yeah, I got a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome. I'm very pleased to report that it doesn't bother me at all anymore. But, yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, I like this. It's something I can actually get very, very excited about. All right, so irritable bowel. Well, first of all, I suppose we should say it's incredibly common. IBS, really common. Possibly between 10 to 20% of the population worldwide have got irritable bowel syndrome. And it seems to be more common in women, which not entirely sure why. We do have a few ideas why, but it's not entirely sure why. And I don't know about you, Lucy, but as a GP, I saw it all the time. People would come in with gut complaints all the time. And obviously not all of them were irritable bowel syndrome, but irritable bowel syndrome was a very, very common cause of gut discomfort. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the name gives it away. It's an irritable bowel, which means That's right. for people there's many different presentations. So certainly some people have gut pain, so cramping. Lots of people have bloating. Some people have diarrhoea and some people have constipation and lots of people have alternating diarrhoea and constipation, which, again, you know, again, I just think about the old days. I, yeah, spent a lot of time in constipation land before my new way of eating and I spent, <laughs> I now look back and think, God, so for breakfast, because I knew if I didn't eat this for breakfast, I would have a constipation, I ate all bran, which if anybody, I mean, you, you possibly all know, it's really like horse food. It's basically, it's bran. It's really processed into these sort of like sticks. Little pellets. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like these little sticks of bran that are god-awful tasteless, which I would then, you know, have with milk and then some sort of tinned fruit to make it vaguely palatable and usually a flavoured yoghurt. And I remember joking with my friends saying, you know, when I get old and end up in a nursing home, I'm going to have to make sure that I'm fed this every day because otherwise I'll be in a world of pain with my poop. So and you don't yeah. want to be in a world of pain with your poop. It's very, Not very at all. Yeah, That's not at right. all. Yes, yes. Not at all. So the interesting thing, of course, is that we do prescribe more fibre for things like irritable bowel, but in many cases it actually doesn't work. In fact, it can make the problem worse. So, you know, Dr. Mary, I would love your thoughts on this and why why this happens and and what we, I guess, what we think the cause of irritable bowel is. Mm. I mean, I can't, I, I never really do take off my doctor hat and I'm not going to take it off now. So I suppose this is the first thing I'd like to say that if you're worried about your gut health, if you've got issues with constipation, diarrhea, gut pain, other things, just go to your doctor because occasionally it can be something serious and that needs to be, you know, excluded and treated. And generally speaking, actually, it's only once we've excluded all the dangerous stuff. Okay, like, right, well, we don't know what it is. So we get that you're uncomfy. It's not Crohn's disease. It's not celiac. It's not ulcerative colitis. It's not a cancer. It's not any of these things. Okay, now it's irritable bowel syndrome. So it's just this like this sort of uh, little like kind of bucket that we put it in. A diagnosis of exclusion is what we like to call it in medicine. So yeah, it sounds bad, not sure what it is, so we'll call it this. And we've just described it, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, so, yeah, go to your doctor. That would be the first thing. And for a long time, we doctors, in our infinite wisdom, called it a functional disorder. And functional disorder meaning that, you know, we've, we've ruled out everything else. It's just in your head. It's in your head. And irritable bowel is partly in your head. We now know uh, much more recent research has totally debunked this. We now, the research is now pointing to a variety of actually quite subtle sort of uh, changes that underlie the development of irritable bowel syndrome. It's a bit frustrating because we don't have this one perfect test that we have. But in the research world, we know that there's quite a few things going on. Stress definitely makes it worse, but it's not just in your head. So people with irritable bowel syndrome, they tend to have an altered immune system like in their bowels. So the way that their body is interacting with the food that they eat, the way that their body is managing their immune system down at their gut is, is often quite sort of ramped up and is different and that there is this constant but low-grade inflammation. So it's an inflammatory process that's going on all the time there. And there also seems to be an increased sensitization that to, to what would be normal kind of signals uh, people with irritable bowel feel pain. So what might be just normal movement of the gut can be interpreted as, as a painful feeling for people with irritable bowel syndrome. And we now know that they actually seem to have more nerve fibres around the gut. So it's, it's really, it's a very, very interesting condition, I think, and kind of complex. Fortunately, it's not severe in the fact that, you know, it doesn't seem to be life limiting, but it can cause huge amounts of distress for people, like really, really significant distress on a spectrum from people who are mildly annoyed to people whose lives are really adversely affected by this. So it's, it's complicated. Genetics plays a role, but also our environmental factors must set us up for this. 
Absolutely. And I think the um, interesting thing that you just pointed out then was the increase in nerve fibres. So we, even when, you know, we our brain is interpreting it as pain, it is. It's painful. It's not the person is just a bit, you know, pathetic or weak. It's not about that. It's about they have more pain fibres than, you know, the person next to them who doesn't get pain from their gut mobility or motility, which I guess is the better phrase. And I think also there's, again, you know, as you've mentioned, there's lots of different causes, but there are also people who have different motility with their gut. So they're, instead of your gut just doing its peristalsis, which is just this sort of little bubbling along of, of moving your food and your water through your large bowel, they can get like a so it's a bit like the stop start of an accelerator which means that they end up with this sort of really painful peristalsis yes and it's kind of weird but it's real it's really common but there are things that you can do that can really dramatically improve the function of your gut and also the quality of your life. I mean, this is an enormous topic. We could probably do 11 podcasts on this if we wanted to, but let's not perhaps not do that. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I think we could certainly like drive home, I think, the most important punchy points here. So traditional treatments for irritable bowel syndrome would be perhaps putting people on a low FODMAP diet. Many of you may have heard this. Um, It's had a lot of research attention in recent years. So FODMAPs, it's such an unwieldy name, but and I I frequently get it wrong. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it here, Lucy. All right, a low FODMAP diet. Go for it. Go for it, Miss. You can do it. Fermentable oligosaccharide, disaccharide, monosaccharides, and polyols. Did I get it? You did. Got it. You did. Excellent. Yes. So it's fermentable, one sugar, two sugar, or many sugars, and polyols is the sort of summary. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So the translation, yeah, is that it's fermentable carbohydrates. So it's usually the carbohydrates that, you know, that are not, so fibres essentially, the ones that are not really absorbed by our gut. So they just sit there fermenting, which, as we know, a little bit of fermentation's good creates short-term fatty acids, which are great for our bowel. But Goldilocks, seriously, Goldilocks is the key here. Too much of this is really unhelpful because basically you've got like a little brewery going on in your gut and you're just making gaseous stuff. Which can stretch the gut wall and cause issues and cause that pain. And it can also cause more fluid to flow into the gut, which can really cause that diarrhea. So, and these... FODMAPs, they're natural, like just part of our foods, but they, they are found in certain kinds of fruit, veggies, legumes, quite high, grains, yep, grains are quite high, some dairy products and, and actually quite a lot of processed foods as well. And people, you know, they can get information about what these foods are and then they can put themselves on a low FODMAP diet and see if things get better. And for a lot of people they do and it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But it's not the only way to go. Think back to that, that there's that low-grade inflammation that is part of the process, the altered immune system, that stress also, psychological stress has a significant role to play. If you go to the basics of real food, you know, real food, not processed food, food as close as possible to its natural state, and then taking out those those foods that are 
naturally lower in carbohydrates that actually anecdotally people get an enormous amount of relief just from that without having to worry too much about FODMAPs and FODMAT apps and getting uh, complicated instructions from dietitians about lowering their FODMAPs that low-carb real food is often enough in and of itself. Absolutely. And the one interesting thing about the FODMAP diet, if if you like, it's actually meant to be like an elimination and a reintroduction diet. It's not meant to be something that people stay on forever so that you are meant to go on to this. And, again, it is it is quite complicated and most people need a dietitian to supervise it, although there are a couple of apps, Monash, Monash Medical Centre where the whole thing research began has an app about it. But even then, it's not something that you're meant to be on for the next 40 years. But at its heart, I mean, part of the benefit, if you like, of a low-carbohydrate lifestyle is that you do, and this is both a benefit and a criticism from people, is that it does reduce the amount of fibre that you have in your diet. It does reduce the amount of fibre that people have that comes from particularly grains, breads, rice, uh, particularly brown rices, but legumes in particular, you just reduce the amount of fibre. It's not a no-fibre diet. Like this is, I think, something that I, I would defend to the death, that a low-carbohydrate lifestyle is not no-fibre. You can get plenty of fibre from your vegetables. And the most incredible thing is that people who have been low FODMAP, who haven't been able to tolerate onion or garlic because it's higher in FODMAPs, can suddenly tolerate those again. We hear it all the time, don't we? I mean, we're very much talking about, you know, case study level data. One of my beautiful members, my beautiful members, one of our beautiful members was talking about this uh, just on Monday that used to have severe food intolerances related to IBS and a really restricted diet, like to the point of actually quite miserable. The amount of foods that this person could eat had been whittled down to, you know, like rice and chicken. And it wasn't a particularly happy way to live. But transitioning to low-carb real food and the, and the, all the healing that has gone along with that, that now she can eat a whole range of foods that she would never have been able to eat before. You know, there's certain things that still will trigger her, like grains, for example, aren't her friend, but she can eat an enormous range compared to what she was of foods and feels really, really good. So her resilience, her gut's resilience has really improved. And we do see this a lot, but there is something very healing about real food and we we know exactly what it is like it it is anti-inflammatory it's the food we're meant to eat it helps heal our our body it nourishes our body with all the right micronutrients and we can heal and it can be such an effective treatment for people with gut issues absolutely and it's so sort of simple it's simple and boring to the point it's simple so simple it's boring but that real food low-carb real food is is really the key You know, there's some tweaks that people may need to make for their own individual circumstances. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the nuance of weight loss, it's the nuance of gut health as well. But the broad brushstrokes of gut health are to, honestly, to particularly legumes, I think they're just diabolical for gut pain. But there's also some other really, really obvious um, characters that are involved, which, again, you know, sugar-free chewing gum which is very popular, uh, it's full of sorbitol and sorbitol is really, it's, a, it's one of the, the phenols that we talked about in the FOD. It's the P of the FODMAP, really, really unhelpful for our gut. 
Yes, it is. As soon as people figure out that one and they can cut out the sugar-free chewing gum and the sorbitol issues, they often feel a lot better. I'd say that the, the best way to see if this works for you is just try it. Try it and see. You know, it's so healthy. It's so healing. It's filling. It's delicious. You're not hungry. You've really got nothing to lose. But I'd try it for probably four weeks, I would say. Give it a go for 30 days before you know, around about that 30-day mark, before you know whether or not it works for you. And I think you could be extremely pleasantly surprised. I actually can remember. I, I have this very clear memory of after I had my first foray into this real food nutrition. And I've told this story before, I won't go into it, but I, I got peer pressured into this into this particular, you know, uh, real food challenge. And I was a few weeks in and I just remember sitting down and just being astounded that I felt good. And I like had this urge, I just needed to tell everyone around me. I was just, I was, I was at the, at my computer writing up my case notes. I was working in community medicine and my lovely colleague was next to me and I was like, I feel good. And she's looking at me slightly. No, I'm like, no, I feel really good. Like I, I actually feel good. And she is just giving me side eyes and. <laughs> About to call the psych reg on you. <laughs> yeah, which is fair enough. She didn't need to care. But I could suddenly remember it was like, yeah, it was like the pool filter that had turned off. Or I, I suddenly had just stopped hitting myself with a hammer and I didn't, and I realised for the first time I've been hitting myself with a hammer and I didn't even know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I love the way you said just, you know, do it for a month. You know, and for anybody who's wanting more info on that, you know, we, we have a program. Uh, the four-week body rebalance. Uh, and if you're looking for, for more information on this related to your gut health, then you can go to one of our web pages, all the W's, rlmedicine.com forward slash gut, and, uh, you know, check it out. But I think at the end of the day, you've got nothing to lose except your irritable bowel. I mean, how good would it be to lose that? <laughs> Absolutely. It's so fascinating because, again, you know, when we think about the complex nature of what causes irritable bowel, and you mentioned earlier about the upregulation of uh, your pain receptors and the proliferation of nerve fibres, the body is so friggin' clever because it can downregulate those as well and it can downgrade nerve fibres. They can regress. If you've got more than you need, more than that is helpful, and you take away the thing that is triggering them, then they they disappear. So you can absolutely, really and truly heal your gut. With simple, simple tools, you absolutely can. Absolutely. I think, Mez, this is a great topic and we should do another uh, episode next week on gut health because what I'd like to explore next week is all the gut-friendly foods that are, uh, we're being encouraged to eat and there's some mythery. So we yes. some mythery. Yes, and we the mythery. Mystery about the mythery. <laughs> yeah. Because uh again, you know, there's it's it's the flavor of the month, gut health, flavor of the decade, flavor of the millennium, and there's like everything, there's the real real deal and the mythery. <laughs> Gorgeous ones, we'll see you next week. All right, we'll cut through some mythery next week. <laughs> Excellent. Take good care. Bye for now. Bye. So my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. 
We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links, provides general information only. It is not a substitute, nor is it intended to provide individualised medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, nor can it be construed as such. Please consult your doctor for any medical concerns.